0: Can I read you something else? Hey Amen, I'm going to, thank you. It's the same verse in Scripture that we started with last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. I believe that this verse is very, 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 very applicable to where we're going today. So I want to read it again. Paul writes this in the message of translation. He said, my grace is enough. It is all that you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. How many of you know the grace of God is enough? (laughs) How many of you know it's all that you need? Mm. Watch this. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. Hold on, let me read that again. He said, Paul writes, I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. How many of you know sometimes the handicap keeps us from recognizing the gift that God has placed within our hearts and lives? He said it was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness now i take limitations in stride and with good cheer these limitations that cut me down to size abuse accidents opposition bad breaks i just let christ take over Hmm. but then look what he writes and so the weaker i get the stronger i become Hmm. the weaker i get the stronger I become. Why? Because his grace is more than enough. Somebody needs to look at your neighbor and say, when I am weak, he makes me strong. No, no, no. You need to look at your neighbor and say, when I'm weak, he makes me strong. Just just shorten that and say, I'm stronger because of Jesus. I'm stronger because of Jesus. Jesus, somebody give him praise. now look at your neighbor and give to them the title of today's message who is this give it to him in question form who is this look at somebody else and say who is this want to see today where the word of the Lord is going to take us, the life-changing, life-giving word of the Lord that causes grace to explode on the scene in the midst of our weakness. When you feel like you are helpless, there comes the grace of God to give you help. When you feel like you're hopeless, there is the grace of God to give you hope. Has anyone in this place ever experienced that kind of grace? Can anybody in this place help me praise a God for the gift of grace? Has anybody ever been tired and the rest of Christ fell down upon? you, then somebody help me praise him. So I want to explore a narrative of scripture today that I honestly believe is going to explore us. How many of you know sometimes when you're reading God's word, God's word is reading you. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll come and pause and offer some context but let me just say this while you're turning there here we are in installment number three of this series caves where we've been looking at these different cave experiences in the bible and what's so radical about these cave experiences is that the presence of god shows up when that person finds themselves in the most isolated place and because of his presence their lives are radically reshaped god uses the isolation to bring a lesson. God uses the aggravation of isolation in order to bring the education of his revelation. It's like Moses, who God hid in the cleft of the rock as his glory passed by, and as he hid him in the cleft of the rock, you know what happened after that? Moses found the plan for the people of Israel. It's like Elijah, who was In the deepest, darkest depression. We talked about him last week. He was in the cave. But God used the cave in order to hit the reset in Elijah's life. Today, I want to look at another cave experience that displays the power and the grace of God. So let's read this narrative of Scripture. Just a few verses, and then I'll offer some context. It says they, everybody say they. They went across the lake to the regions of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs. Everybody say tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. Somebody say lived in the tombs. and No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. This man lived in the tombs. Some of your translations say this man lived in the caves. Somebody say caves. This cave, this this is a cluster of caves, if you will, where dead bodies are are placed. There's death all around this man. He's driven to the point of living in the darkness of a tomb. Death all around him. The Bible says because he has an impure spirit. Some of your translations say that he's demon-possessed. Now, I don't want anyone in here to get caught up in being demon-possessed certainly demons do exist but in biblical days they would use the term demon to describe a plethora of things that we don't necessarily use the term demon to describe today i don't want anyone to look at your wife and say honey we got to go he's talking about demons grab your bible let's get out of here Because this is not a story about a person who is demon-possessed. This is a story about a Savior who carries such authority that when he speaks into the darkness of a man's cave, anything that is holding him down shall be broken. I don't know who this is for, but here is this man. Here is this man who is bound by the enemy, death all around him, corpses litter his living room. The dreams of what should have been litter his den. The loneliness of the cave, the place that the enemy has placed him in, begins to echo off of the walls of his heart. Anger. 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 Bitterness. 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 I didn't know I could throw my voice. voice. Resentment. 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 These chains. These chains that the enemy is using to keep this man in a cemetery, place of death what jesus does in verse four just just be seated But, but but keep your mind right here be seated it says for he had often been chained hand and foot but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones when he saw Jesus from a distance he ran and he fell on his knees. He went in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, "What do you want me with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me." For Jesus had said to him, "Come out of this man, you impure spirit." What I love about this na- this narrative is that Jesus doesn't call for a committee meeting with the disciples. He doesn't say to the disciples, Tim, how are we going to deal with this? He doesn't light a bunch of candles. He doesn't go in the pre-fight stretch pose. He just speaks into the man's life, into the thing that has bound him, the darkness of the cave. He speaks into it. I don't believe he was shouting. I believe it was a gentle whisper, the same gentle whisper that Elijah heard in 1 Kings chapter 19 that brought him out of the cave. Here is the grace of God on display for everyone to see in his weakest moment. He became strong. Why? Because the man who had no name collided with the name that was above every other name. That name is so powerful that when it is spoken, demons have to flee, bodies are healed. That name that is so powerful that he can speak into the cave of your life and he can say come out come out come out somebody help me praise god and say come out i'm gonna need some help today so somebody give me an amen wow let me pause here for a minute because i think you need to understand the context of where jesus is at in his ministry this is very 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 early in the ministry of christ and Jesus is just now starting to preach this message. He's he's chosen the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples don't even really know who Jesus is. They're following Jesus, but they don't really know who he is. It's very early in the ministry. They're just, they just have rough edges, and they're just following around. Like, who is this Jesus? They're like, we know we're a part of the crew. Yeah, we'll serve. But they have no clue as to what crew they're really a part of. Jesus is dropping dimes and parables and preaching and healing people and and the name jesus is beginning to circulate amongst all of the village people and they're talking about jesus who is this jesus who is jesus who is this jesus and as his notoriety is beginning to elevate thousands of people gather around jesus every time he comes out they're there But something strange happens when his notoriety begins to go to that level. Something that you need to understand because without understanding what happens in chapter 4, you really will not understand what Jesus is doing in chapter 5. You see, in chapter 4, just back up with me to chapter 4, verses 35 and following. Here's what happens it says, That day when evening came, he said to the disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Somebody say the other side. Jesus says let's go over to the other side we've got some work to do now at this moment the disciples are seeing all of these crowds of people who gather around Jesus every single time he comes out, every time he gives a parable every time he preaches, every time he performs a miracle, thousands of people so you know the disciples are like okay if we're going to the other side then that means that there's not going to be thousands of people over there, there's going to be tens of thousands of people because he wouldn't leave all of these people but then something happens on the way to the other side. It says in verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up. Aren't you glad that you can see the humanity of Christ? aren't you? It says the disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, they hadn't fully wrapped their brains around who Jesus was, the majesty of Christ, yet. They hadn't fully wrapped their brains around who he was, that all of creation must listen to his voice. And so we see that in verse 41. It says, they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Somebody say, who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Who is this who preaches this message of hope? Who is this who heals broken bodies? Who is this that offers forgiveness? Who is this who offers salvation? Who is this that the wind and the waves obey his voice? Who is this? You see, what you need to realize is that in chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is traveling the countryside, preaching the message of the gospel, making the proclamation of the gospel. But when chapter 5 opens up, it's no longer the proclamation of the gospel, it's the demonstration of the gospel. There's a major difference in proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. But the disciples hadn't fully grabbed this yet. In fact, I I just envision this conversation amongst them as they're rowing the boat. You know, what Peter's like, man, why are we going to the other side? I mean, there's thousands of people around us. And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, yeah, I know why we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side because there's going to be tens of thousands of people there. There's going to be, Andrew, there's going to be tens of thousands of people. What do you think, Andrew? I think you're right. I think you're right, Peter. I think there's going to be tens of thousands of people there. What do you think, Thomas? I doubt it. I don't think so. (laughs) So (laughs) here they are traveling, thinking there's got to be just thousands, there's got to be tens of thousands of people. And when they land on the shore, the only person there to greet them was this man who was living in the tombs. A crazy man. A a, a man who had been forced out by society. A, a, A man who, 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 who was lost a man who who, who was broken a, a, a crazy man who lived in the caves a, a, a man who lived amongst the dead but what the disciples didn't fully understand yet is that jesus came to, in order to bring dead things back to life but what's strange is mark does not give us his name he says we're greeted there by a man a crazy man a man who's living in the caves a man who's been shunned by society. He does not tell us the man's name. He gives us a great description of the man, but he does does not give us his name. His identity is predicated in his issues, and his issues have determined his location. Think about that. Why is it that sometimes people can determine our location Based upon what they say is wrong with us. Or what they think is wrong with us. Hello? Why is it that people can determine our location based upon who they say we are? Maybe you haven't been forced to a physical cave. Hear me. But maybe you're living in the cave nonetheless because of something that someone has said to you, about you, or is doing to you. And therefore, you've become a permanent cave dweller. The Bible says a man came out of the tombs to meet Jesus there. Why? Because nobody else would meet him there. Nobody else would meet this man there. In fact, Peter is telling this story through Mark. Mark is sitting down with Peter, and Peter's recalling all of the stories, and he's giving them to Mark, and Peter doesn't even know that man. Only, the only way Peter is identifying this man, if you will, is through his condition, not by his name. But the Bible talks about this man in such a way, in fact, the Bible gives us more description about this man and this demon possession than any other demon-possessed person in Scripture. So let's talk about this man for a minute. Because the Gospel of Luke tells us that this man lived in this condition for a long time. It said that he lived like an animal. It said that he would not wear clothes. The Bible said that he was so strong that they would bind him with chains, but he would break the chains. But verse 5 tells us something else about this man. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this. It says, Night and day among the tombs... And in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Hold on a second. Grab this. He's in the cave. He's in the darkness, a place that someone else has pushed him to. And he's crying out and hurting himself. At one point in time, he lived among the other village people. But sooner than later, they got tired of his issues. And they would try to bind him with chains. And when that didn't work, they drove him out of town into the caves, into the tombs, into the cemetery. So that if he was going to hurt someone, he could only hurt himself. The external issue in his life caused society to say, this is the location that you must live in. Hold on a second. Would it not be crazy if you came to church and the seating arrangement was determined by the issues in your life can i get a hello oh you have some financial troubles <laughs> your seat's in the balcony and here's your chain oh you're you're going through a divorce your seat is on the very back row and here's your chain <laughs> you've got some relational difficulties your seat is on the second to the last row and here's your chain <laughs> Oh, you have some depression in your life. You are in seat number 332. Don't touch anyone just in case that's a demon. And here's your chain. Oh, you're battling an addiction? Then you're in the overflow. We don't do that at this church. Why? Because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus, it says, was on the shore and the man came to him. Hold on a second. The physical manifestation of the man's issues was obvious for everyone to see. Therefore, they pushed him to a region, the the tombs, the caves. You see, maybe the issues in your life are not manifesting themselves in a physical way so that everyone could see them. But nonetheless, you have some internal chains and caves that you're dealing with. Lord, have mercy. The cave of insecurity, the cave of your past, the cave of sin, the cave of fear, the cave of depression, the cave of anger, the cave of bitterness, resentment, That dark place the problem is you're dying on the inside while you're trying to hold it together for everyone on the outside. No one knows what you're going through on the inside because you're smiling on the outside, but on the inside you're dying. You can come to church and on the outside it looks fine, but on the inside you're dying. You can be close to the Messiah, but yet still missing what the Messiah is trying to do in your life. You can come to church and lift up your hands and be close to Jesus, and, and, but, but yet still miss what God is doing because of what's happening on the inside. What's happening on the inside, the cave in your life, has caused you to miss what it is that God is trying to do in your life. And you can be near the Messiah, but yet still living in the cemetery. don't you find it strange that jesus said to the disciples let's go over to the other side because we have some work to do and when they get to the other side it's one individual but on the journey from the other side to this side jesus had to deal with some caves that were so present in the disciples lives that it didn't show necessarily on the outside until it began to manifest itself on the inside and they were terrified the wind and the waves blew up and jesus said why are you so afraid here they are experienced fishermen on the sea all of the time but the messiah is right there with them but yet the fear is still overwhelming them So close to the Messiah, but yet still overwhelmed by the cave of fear that's inside of them. Experienced fishermen, but yet still overwhelmed by the cave of fear. Some of you are experienced churchgoers, but yet you're overwhelmed by the cave of fear. And the Bible says the man went out to meet Jesus there. I wrote this down. I'm going to share it with you. The thing that breaks you free from the cave is your willingness to come out in order to be intimate with the Savior. You have to be able to answer the question, who is this? You can't just have a knowledge of who Jesus is. You've got to have an intimate knowledge. You've got to know Christ. It is your ability to know Christ that enables you to throw off the problems of this world and grab hold of the promises of his word. Lord, have mercy. It is it is that it is that that knowing Jesus Christ that enables you to come out. Some of you need to come out. Some of you are overwhelmed by the cave of fear. It's time for you to come out. Some of you are overwhelmed by the worry and anxiety in your life. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, "Come out." You see the enemy had pushed this man to a certain region. You can only live in the cemetery. That's what the enemy said. He said that is your destiny but Jesus didn't see him the same way that the enemy did. The enemy saw him according to his brokenness but Jesus saw him according to his healing. The enemy saw him according to his chains but Jesus saw him according to his freedom. The enemy saw him according to his destruction but Jesus saw him according to his salvation. Jesus will chase after you. He'll tell you to come up, get out of the grave because I'm here for you. Good God Almighty. Somebody help me preach up in this place. You cannot allow, you cannot allow the strategies of the enemy to cause you to lose sight of who the Lord is. Who is this man? Who is this man? Who is this man? You see, the name that is above every name collided with the man who had no name. And then in verse 6, something crazy happens. Verse 7, 6 and 7 says this. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Don't you know, I believe when Peter's telling this story to Mark, I, I think he leaves out how wimpy all, the, all of the disciples were. Cause you know this man who's naked, who's crazy, who's been cutting himself, who's so strong he breaks every chain that's ever placed on him. When he comes running at Jesus, what do you think they did? I don't believe they put him up, I'm telling you. I think all you saw was elbows and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But look at verse seven. He fell at his knees in front of him, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Hmm. Why would Jesus leave the thousands to come after one? He would leave the thousands to come after one just to bring freedom to the one. But more than that, he would leave the thousands to come to the one. For the worship of one. Why? Because the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The point that I am trying to make is you cannot allow the approval that you seek from others to be greater than your desire to be in his presence. Verses eight and nine. Watch this. Watch this. Verses eight and nine it says for jesus had said to him come out of this man you impure spirit then jesus asked him what is your name my name is legion he replied for we are many now think about this with me for a moment here is jesus the son of god the creator of the universe part of the trinity who knows everything, created everything, why do you think he's asking him what his name is? He knows. But he's doing this so that the disciples will understand the extent of the problem. He said, my name is Legion. Legion means thousands. Here's what's ironic. This place where they are, the Gadarenes, if you will, In the hebrew it's it means pilgrimage but it also means the fight and here is jesus meeting thousands of demons and the thing that has caused all of society praise team you can come back the thing that has caused all of society to fear this man to shun this man, to drive this man to the cemetery because everyone was fearful of the demons. Everyone but Jesus. Jesus came to meet him there. Everyone but Jesus. Jesus was not afraid of the demons. You see, because Jesus understood something. There was nothing that could separate him from the love of God. There is nothing that you've been through, nothing that you're going through, nothing that you've done that can separate you from the love of God. Because Jesus will chase after you. Jesus will pursue you. Jesus will go into the cave and bring out that light so that all of that darkness is gone. He will fight for you because he's Jehovah. He's Jesus. He's Yeshua. He is our Savior. Good Lord, have mercy. Somebody say, Lord, have mercy. I love verses 10 through 13, it says, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number. They rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. <laughs> what a waste of pork chops. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. I was talking to my wife Kim this week and I said hey what do you think I should title this message and she said I'd call it bacon 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 (laughs) she ain't right lord but why does this happen can I tell you why this happens here's what's cool because Jesus wants everyone to see the destructive nature of Satan why because he came to steal kill and destroy But Jesus came. Who is this man? He came to offer us help and hope. He is Jehovah. He is Yeshua. He is the God that gives us refuge. Why? Because he came so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Who is this? He is our help. Who is this? He is our hope. Who is this? He is our Savior. Who is this man? He is our deliverer. So it's time for us to understand the power of Yeshua, the power of Jehovah, the power of Jesus. It's time for us to realize we can come out. Come out of that depression. Come out of that discouragement. Come out of that sorrow. Come out of that pain. Come out of that life. Somebody say, come out. <laughs> Verses 14 through 17. Watch this. It says, those tending pigs, they ran off and they reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed now and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. When the people began to plead with Jesus, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Isn't it ironic that the demons wanted to stay, but the villagers wanted Jesus to leave? But there's something else in this story that I think so many times we preachers, we we don't preach this right. It's verse 2. It's verse 2 that even I referenced a few minutes ago that in order to break out of the cave, we have to have the willingness to come out in order to be intimate with Jesus. And there is so much truth to that. But we read this verse in some ways out of context because the Bible for us is broken into verse and chapters, numbered, but it was written in a manuscript form all together. So sometimes you have to understand what's happened previously to fully grab the context of what you're reading at that moment. And verse 2 of chapter 5 says something. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him there. So many times preachers preach that the evil spirit, the man who was broken, came to Jesus. All you have to do is come to Jesus. And there's so much truth to that. Bring Jesus your pain, your sorrow, your brokenness. And there's so much truth to that. But that's not what really happened in this story. Because it was not this man who came to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus began the journey to the man the day before when he said, let's go over to the other side. The point that I am trying to make is you don't have to be a cave dweller. You need to understand that Jesus knows where you are. No one else can define who you are. No one else can tell you what location that you need to live in. No one else can tell you what's wrong with you. Because Jesus has the ability to chase you down and to come after you, break you out. So it's time for you to come out, rip off those chains, because the enemy is is under your feet. <laughs> Verses eighteen through twenty. Stand to your feet. We're gonna be done in just a minute or two. Verses eighteen through twenty says this as Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He didn't want to be around all those people who told him what he had been for so long. Now he is living in the the tombs. But Jesus said, you can't go with me. He said, but here's what I do want to do. I, I want to empower you. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy So the man went away and began to tell everyone in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all of the people were amazed. I ask myself the question, why is it that Peter left the man's name out when he's telling Mark the story? Why? Why? then I realized because it's not significant. It's not significant because Peter wants you to see that in your plight, in your difficulty, in your struggle, whatever it may be, This is not a story about a man who is demon-possessed. This is a story about a Savior who has the authority to speak into the darkness of your cave and say, come out, come out, come out, whether it's demon-possession or whether it's some other possession, whether it's this or that, whether it's whatever it may be. This story is not about a demon-possessed man. This story is about the grace of God and how He strengthens you in your moment of weakness so that you are strong enough to break through whatever it is that is coming against you. Peter wanted us to see ourselves in this story. Because sometimes I think those internal chains, that cave, becomes more than we can handle. But it's never more than he can handle.